Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Scott Hickel, founder and CEO of Carbon Zero. Carbon Zero is America's first credit card that neutralizes your carbon footprint when you shop. And in the episode, Scott and I will discuss what exactly inspired his idea for Carbon Zero and how it works, the economics for a credit card, and how he's able to make carbon offsets completely free to the customer, his take on the killer climate vanity metric, and whether a credit card can be the social signal that gets the general public excited to participate, engage, and talk about a carbon-neutral lifestyle. And finally, the moonshot potential for a company like Carbon Zero. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Scott Hickam, founder and CEO of Carbon Zero. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. All right, y'all. So Scott and I have had kind of a great time getting to know each other. Actually, we were, we were just reminiscing last night. We had him on on our clubhouse chat, and midway through his conversation, he gets pulled over by the cops. <laughs> True story. I got a text from a buddy of mine afterwards saying, uh, you getting pulled over in that was the best clubhouse I've ever been a part of. <laughs> Bro, it was amazing. Anyways, Scott is quickly becoming a good friend of mine. He's a, an amazing thinker and tinkerer in the broader climate space. And so, Scott, before we jump into Carbon Zero, being the host here, I had to do some digging, some stalking beyond any of the conversations we've had before. And, oh, no. and one thing that caught my eye was you were a board member for the Wallace Institute of Arctic Security. Come on. That sounds – I don't know what that is. It sounds really cool. So, for the listeners, what is the Wallace Institute for Arctic Security and why – did you become involved with them? Yeah, the Wallace Institute for Arctic Security is basically a nonprofit out in DC that is advocating for American activism in the Arctic. And it's the reason I got involved with it is as a friend of mine's kind of passion project. He's from Iceland and has seen he's been following kind of Arctic geopolitics very passionately for his whole life and has seen kind of the lapse of American leadership as of late. And he himself lives in D.C. and spends a fair amount of time on the Hill working with Congress people and decided that he would kind of pick a cause of his own to promote. And he chose Arctic security. And obviously climate plays into that. And he asked me to be a quote unquote climate representative on the board. And, you know, I think Nick's a great guy and it was an easy decision. That's awesome. All right, y'all. So. Yeah, you saw the, the title of this episode. We're going to be talking about credit cards. So, Scott, let's give the listeners a quick 101. What is Carbon Zero? Carbon Zero is a credit card designed to be the easiest, most transparent, most accessible, and dare I say, most attractive way to go personally climate positive slash carbon neutral. Uh, it's a credit card that measures and neutralizes your carbon footprint with every transaction. Wow, you've got that down to a T. You sent me a Google Doc earlier today. And I don't know if this is supposed to be shared widely, but anyways, for, for anyone th- when everyone tinkering on ideas, I think broadly what Scott has done is just organize his thoughts into a, a really short kind of two to three page doc, the North Star 
for carbon zero. And so I think it's helpful to start there before we dig into the product. What's the North Star for carbon zero? Yeah, so, so the North Star for carbon zero basically walks through my like chain of thinking as to why do a climate positive credit card. And step one is, you know, obviously climate change is here. It's imminent. It's happening. And Americans' understanding of that is at an all-time high. About you know two and two and three of us recognize that climate change is uh, human caused and currently you know affecting us and continues to. And kind of despite that urgency, it's incredibly difficult to fund projects that remove and reduce carbon emissions in the atmosphere. And it's not that we don't have the technology; it's that we need economic incentives to actually implement that technology. So there's a guy on Twitter. I'm actually forgetting his name right now. I'll go back and find it and you can share it in the show notes. But he he had this great thread that made the observation that, you know, we can't cheat the laws of physics. And in order for carbon to be net removed from the atmosphere, the industry that does that will have to be the same size of the industry that's currently putting carbon and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And like, That is a mind-bending thought for me because interesting. Yeah, and it's he's absolutely right. And the problem is right now there's a lot of incentives to pollute, right? Like you want to drive places, you want to fly places, you want to consume things, and those all come with this you know negative pollution side effect. You know, kind of the, the textbook example of a negative externality. And so I got really into carbon offsets and started basically researching you know the incentives around carbon offsets and what i found is that private enterprise has very strong incentives to be more climate forward you know environmental social corporate governance positive and a lot of that comes from two primary motivations number one there is tremendous top-down pressure from boardrooms and large uh, shareholders around the world to be more climate forward and future friendly. You know, BlackRock is, I believe, the single largest asset manager in the world with like $7 trillion. And Larry Fink, their president, has two years in a row now put out uh, very strongly worded letters, basically putting their holding companies on notice if they're not being more climate forward. So there's, you know, that top-down pressure that the markets are putting on companies to purchase carbon offsets and, and, you know, be more sustainable. And, And then also, you know, companies see a real marketing benefit from being able to say, you know, this product is more carbon neutral, this shipping is carbon neutral, you know, our whole company is carbon neutral. And you see a lot of the kind of big luxury companies, the St. Laurent's, Gucci's, Prada's, et cetera, a lot of them are, you know, at a corporate level themselves carbon carbon neutral. And the problem is individuals don't have those same incentives. There's nobody telling you, Peter, hey, you need to go offset your carbon footprint. So that's one problem. Then the other problem is, you know, basically from an individual perspective, carbon offsets look a lot like charity. You're giving money to a thing that benefits society, you know, makes you feel better about your contribution to that, but doesn't tangibly bring any return back to you. And so I got really fascinated by kind of the the dynamics of charity. And there's kind of two statistics that, framed it all for me. Number one is 95% of charitable donations in the United States are solicited rather than volunteered. 
basically people are reticent to part with their money except for when their friends or family, you know, hit them up and say, hey, here's a GoFundMe that I care a lot about, you know, would you please donate? And then the other side of it is that less than 1% of a charity in the United States is actually anonymous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in practice, what that means is when you're building like apps to do carbon offsets, you're asking for anonymous charity. Or if you put carbon offsets in a checkout flow, it's, you know, anonymous charity. And that's just the hardest type of charity to ask for. And it's very easy for kind of the the intended purchaser to say, eh, not today. Mm-hmm. This is actually, it's been a core discussion topic of, of ours over the last week, ever, you know, since we first got connected. And I, I just want to double click on to this last phenomenon, because I think anyone listening to this episode has heard prior episodes of of investors exploring carbon offsetting solutions. We've had a number of startups on the show that are making off you know emissions calculations and offsetting super easy. But the model there is, let's say your footprint can be offset for thirty dollars. Well, you're going to have to pay thirty dollars mm-hmm. plus some type of premium, right? So now not only am I Doing some type of you know, you you could call it quasi charitable contribution, but I'm also kind of paying this like premium on top of it. Yeah. So now let's 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 segue into how you address this inside of the flagship Carbon Zero product. Yeah, absolutely. So the flagship Carbon Zero product is you know an attractive credit card, black credit card that measures and neutralizes your carbon footprint, and, and basically born out of the realization that credit cards are extremely well suited towards solving this problem, both on the measurement and offsetting side. So on the measurement side, you know, your personal carbon footprint comes from three primary buckets, your transportation, your consumption, both of which just boil down to transactions, and then your utilities, which some people can put on their credit cards, and in which case you have, you know, basically a holistic 360 degree view of someone's, you know, total spending and total carbon footprint. And then on the offsetting side, you have the rewards rate. So, you know, a lot of rewards cards offer points, cash back, air miles as rewards. And I was kind of stunned to find that 31%, roughly one in three rewards cardholders in America have never once redeemed those rewards. And on $3 trillion a year in card spending, that maths out to like $10 billion a year of unused rewards that are just evaporating into the bottom lines of banks. And actually the banks hate them because they're liabilities. Like, they have to honor those rewards, but if people aren't cashing them in, then they just sit on their balance sheet as a liability. And I just saw that as an opportunity, like that is found money that just seems like it would be so much better purpose purchasing carbon offsets. And doing that, purchasing offsets as a reward and being able to show for each transaction, you know, here's how much the carbon footprint was for this transaction. Here's how much your carbon offsets were for this transaction. Here's what it nets out to, you know, climate positive, climate negative, et cetera. And being able to show that, you know, over time, track your carbon footprint and your, your kind of net climate impact, you know, week over week, month over month, year over year is A, very compelling. And B, allows us to reframe offsets as a reward as opposed to now it's as opposed to a form of charity, as we talked about, because you're no longer having to pay out of pocket. And really, it's coming at the opportunity cost of your you know, credit card points, which a lot of people, A, don't use at all. And then B, there's people like me who you know, I have an Amex and I buy one flight a year with it. And I probably would have bought that flight with cash anyway, and it doesn't change my life. And to be able to measure and neutralize my carbon footprint automatically is a far more compelling value prop to me personally and kind of my values. So 
we're, we're kind of going for mm-hmm. the, the folks on the, you know, the not in those who don't use their credit card points, those who use them opportunistically. And then I'm proud to say, you know, there, there are people I've pitched this to her like, man, I, I churn my points and I, you know, have five cards and I know exactly which card I'm going to spend at, you know, each merchant, right? You know, I have a card for groceries. I have a card for restaurants. I have a card for air, air miles, et cetera. And I tell them like, you know, good for you. Like you are totally within your rights to do that. You're not a carbon zero customer. We are proud to be the best card on the planet for planet people and the worst card on the planet for points people. That is so accurate. I, I think the if I were to boil down the value proposition into a soundbite, it's like guilt-free living that hap- that happens at no extra cost to you. Yes. And that's exactly I, it. And it's guilt-free living at no extra cost to you. And you also get a beautiful card that every time you pull it out, it's a, you know, understated way of broadcasting your values without having to say a word. Scott, that alone, we've talked about about this notion quite a bit. I believe on a couple episodes before this, but I brought up this notion of the vanity metric. Mm -hmm. And broadly, people understand what this is. You know, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you're you're motivated to increase your follower count. And the only way you can increase your follower count is by creating content. And this mm-hmm. is something that's core to the platform. They really cracked that type of status signal. Same with newer concepts that have their own kind of vanity metrics that motivate people to engage with the product or service, create content, get their friends to participate as well. And I think up until I met you, I I still hadn't cracked that nut. I couldn't find what is going to be the vanity metric in climate. What is going to be something that gets the general public excited to participate and engage? So let's let's double click into that phenomenon and why that gets you excited about the opportunity with the carbon zero card. Totally. You you talk about a vanity metric. I I think really the metric that the the mass public understands the best and, and cares about most is carbon neutral. Kind of everyone understands what that means or, or you know, climate neutral, climate positive. But but that framing around some idea of neutral is really powerful because it's intuitive, it's simple. And so carbon zero kind of plays on that. And it, it you know, it's in the name, it says it. And so I, I think that's an important thing because saying, you know, I was net 10 tons of carbon negative last year doesn't mean really that much to, you know, the average Joe. The, the, the actual numbers of the, the kind of mass weight of carbon is very abstract and hard to intuit and hard to empathize with and hard to visualize. But being carbon neutral and climate positive is fairly intuitive. So I, I think that's really powerful. I also think there's a tremendous value in virtue signaling. I think virtue signaling, by and large, gets a tremendously bad rap. People kind of poo-poo virtue signaling, and I'm of the opinion that if you think something is virtuous, like you should absolutely wear it on your sleeve and broadcast it and share it with you know the world. And there are some really awesome examples of virtue signaling in the kind of sustainability space that have done really well commercially as well. Kind of my favorite is Toyota Prius, and I believe it was the Honda Insight were the first two mass market consumer hybrid vehicles to arrive on America's shores, both in 2010. And that year, the Prius outsold the Insight like six to one. I want to say the Prius, you can go check my numbers on this, but it sold like 120,000 units and 
the insight sold like 20, 20,000. And I mean, you, you, you can slice it up a lot of ways, but ultimately the reason that I find most compelling as to why that disparity, because the insight was actually like $3,000 less than the Prius for, you know, basically comparable cars, but the Prius looks like a Prius. Like you see it on the road and you know exactly what it's about. The insight was just kind of a vanilla sedan that had a sticker on the back that said hybrid. You couldn't pick it out of a lineup. And effectively what that says is people will pay extra premium, right? Like $3,000 more to drive the car that says something about their values and communicates that, but in an understated way that you don't have to say out loud. And I think that's just a really fascinating concept and Mm -hmm. one that hasn't been emulated in credit cards yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the closest analogy is if I drop a metal credit card onto the table and it clings and clangs, the number of times we've experienced this type of scenario before, it always kickstarts a conversation. Oh, what type of card is that? Can I hold it? Can I feel it? The credit card is one of the few opportunities to virtue signal, to showcase and broadcast that you care about a specific thing. And it's a pretty darn good conversation starter. It's kind of exactly you know what I love about it. You, know, you talk about opportunities to virtue signal. Part of my thought process that led me to credit cards was, you know, originally I wanted to do an app that used your GPS and accelerometer to track your location passively and determine when you're driving or flying, measure your trips, and then tell you how much it would cost to offset. And I was pitching this to some friends of mine, and one of them, Kelsey, told me, like, Scott, love where your heart's at, uh, but when am I ever going to talk about this? And I was like, that's a really good point. And so I went back to the drawing board and I was like, what are physical things in the real world that you can bake carbon offsets into, you know, more or less. And effectively I arrived at kind of five broad categories of objects that you interact with on a daily basis that have kind of some identity component to them. You identify with your purchases and, and those are your house, your car, your clothing and accessories, your electronics and your credit card. And then each of those previous four categories there's a sustainable subcategory that's rapidly growing. So in housing, you have lead certified architecture and solar panels. You know, in vehicles, you obviously have electronic vehicles and hybrids. In sustainable or in fashion, you have sustainable fashion. And there's a lot of really cool companies kind of doing innovative things in sustainability right now, you know, for apparel. And then like even in electronics, you know, this past year, Apple made a you know, huge show at WWDC about how sustainable their supply chain was becoming. And then I was just kind of shocked to find that as an American, there were really no kind of climate forward credit cards I could apply for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're spot on. What I want to do now is zoom into the Carbon Zero product suite. So I think unlike most cards, right, I really don't engage much with my Bank of America credit card beyond the swipe. You know, maybe mm-hmm. once a month I'll go in, I'll see just a breakdown of what my total spend was, I'll collect my rewards, but there's really no ongoing engagement because that's not really what it's built to do at the moment. And so if we look at carbon zero and I'm swiping this card, you know, every day, every other day, what is the ongoing engagement look like? Do you have a mobile app that's connected to it? What can a prospective customer user expect inside of that mobile experience. Yeah, totally. So we, we do have a mobile app built out and effectively it's a 
credit card app with the climate component baked into it. So it does all the things you would expect from a modern credit card. You can you know, go connect your bank accounts, disconnect bank accounts, pay off your bill, view your transactions, view your you know, previous balance statements, you know, see how much you're currently available on your balance, you know, pay it off, freeze your card, et cetera. But you also can manage your climate impact and view your climate impact and then purchase you know, additional offsets if you felt so inclined. And so you know, kind of at a high level, you know, we have the climate impact on a per transaction basis. So for each transaction, we show your net climate impact in terms of pounds of carbon. And then you can tap into the transaction and see, you know, all the typical transaction details, you know, here's how much was spent, here's the merchant, what the category was when you did this purchase, etc. But then you also see what we call the impact summary, which shows your carbon footprint with that transaction, how much was offset for that transaction, and then how much that nets out to. So the offering or the offsets you know, minus the footprint. And if the offsets, you know, are more than the footprint, then it's climate positive. And then you can also see, you know, where the offsets came from for that purchase. And I don't know, are you familiar with Patch? I am, but let's uh, definitely brief brief our listeners. Okay. So Patch is a really, really awesome kind of carbon offsetting marketplace that does a terrific job of sourcing very high quality carbon offsets across both forestry and then kind of the the you know, more cutting edge negative emission stuff, direct air capture, biochar, you know, kind of mineral, what is it, enhanced mineral weathering. And so they allow us to purchase carbon offsets in real time as we need them with every transaction. And they, they do a really terrific job of sourcing high quality offsets and then purchasing them, purchasing them, the purchasing them in bulk. You can fix that in post. And then we just hit them up at any time we want to purchase offsets. And then they can tell us exactly, you know, what the provenance of that offset was, you know, where this come from. And then they have, you know, really thorough project descriptions and photography associated with each of the offset categories on their platform. And then we can surface that back to our user to show, you know, here's where your impact is actually happening. So, you know, this is happening in the Kutsnuwu forest in Alaska or Klinakanya, which is another forest somewhere in kind of the northeast. And it really helps you kind of as a user feel that your impact is real and connect with it. Like that's important. Mm -hmm. You know, transparency is one of our core values and that plays into both the carbon offset transparency showing you where your offsets come from and also the carbon footprint accounting and showing, you know, how we calculate the carbon footprint for each trans the transaction side. And then we also track your carbon and climate impact over time. So we have a separate screen for that where you can kind of zoom in and out and see, you know, month over month, year over year, week over week, like, how am I doing? That's so cool. And Scott, we'll edit this out. Just take a sip of the water when you, whenever you can. Don't worry. I do this with our guests all the time and I'll just edit it in post. <laughs> you are the um, man, Peter. So Scott, can I tell you my biggest frustration with carbon tracking and offsetting apps today? Yes, please. I'd love that. So I think one of the ongoing opportunity areas in the broader climate category is messaging. Like climate really got its start in science and mm -hmm. the people who have been working on it for years are academics first. They're not marketers. And we're starting to cross the chasm, but there are some things that are just totally contrary to how everyday people interact with the world. And one of those things is the annual footprint. I don't know yes. a single person that can <laughs> think, okay, what is going to be the impact of my footprint as it compares to 
365 days of use. Like, oh, this transaction brings me to 0.5% of my total carbon budget for the year. So I'd love to hear, you know, what's your take on this? And if you've thought at all about reframing annual footprint to something that's just a lot more palatable. A hundred percent. This is, you make a great point, one that I've thought a lot about. And you're right. Like I, Scott, don't live in annual increments. I live in the day-to-day here and now. And, you know, people can kind of make the analogy of counting your carbon footprint to counting calories. And nobody knows how many calories they ate last year. They know, you know, the Surgeon General recommends you're supposed to eat about 2,000 calories, give or take, based on you, you know, your body type, et cetera, in a given day. But your annual calorie intake, you know, if I were to ask you, you might try and multiply 365 by 2,000, but it's, it's really, it's, it's irrelevant. And so the annual carbon footprint is, you know, very valuable to think about at kind of a national level, uh, a macro level, but at the micro level, you know, me personally, it's very meaningless and it's difficult to intuit, you know, 18 tons of gas or 26 tons of gas, whatever your carbon footprint comes out to is, I don't know, for me, it's almost like an oxymoron too, right? Like the, the mass weight of a gas that's floating, it, it, it almost like doesn't make sense. And my background is in mechanical engineering and like, I know it makes sense, but it's, it's hard to picture. And so we've thought a lot about this at Carbon Zero and basically, you know, what 20 tons per year comes out to is a, roughly 100 pounds a day carbon emissions. I mean, that's more or less what the average American's carbon footprint is today. Really, we'd like to get that down to like, you know, really zero, net net zero per day. And helping people see that is super important, but also helping people intuit their climate impact in other terms. So in the app, we also do a lot of kind of conversions to help you contextualize your climate impact in different ways, right? So one of them is, you know, putting it in terms of distances. So, you know, your net climate impact last month was the equivalent of neutralizing a car trip from Houston, Texas to Anchorage, Alaska, and then showing that to you on a map. We find that people grok distances much more readily than they do, you know, pounds of carbon. And then there's some other kind of more fun ones. Obviously, planting trees is one that, you know, you, you kind of know more or less what a tree looks like and how tall it is and, you know, this, a sense for the mass of it. So contextualizing things in terms of, you know, tree equivalencies is a fun one. And then we're also, you know, playing around with some more whimsical ones like cow farts or cow burps and going and calculating, you know, what is the, you know, carbon impact of one cow burp? We had one of our interns (laughs) actually go do that math. No way. Oh yeah. That's awesome. These are the things, you know, as I think about what the most popular consumer apps are today, they speak to you Actually, you know, it's just they just respect you. That's all it is. They talk to you like you are a peer. And if you talk to someone like you're a professor, I don't know if I'm f- reflecting back on my college classes. <laughs> I love my professor. I don't know how many, how often I listened. So I think there's just a, a massive opportunity gap in how we message to the general public. And I think yeah. you're thinking about it the right way. I, I, I appreciate that. And I totally agree. I think to, to your point about talking to people as a peer, this is kind of a realization I've had lately in climate tech is that in in tech broadly, a very common piece of advice is 
build something that you yourself would want to use and then go find other customers. But start with something you yourself would want to use. And I've come to believe that in climate tech, that is more or less terrible advice. Because if you yourself are motivated enough to care about climate and go learn deeply about climate, and by, by the time you are knowledgeable enough that you feel like you can set out and build something, you're building for a very small audience of people who are also, you know, every bit as steeped in the climate space as you are. And the challenge isn't building things for people who already care about climate. The challenge is building things for everyday people who care about climate, but aren't going to spend months of their lives diving into all of the research and being a part of the community and learning what the controversies are and what the conversation is. You know, 66% of Americans want to do the right thing. It just needs to be easy and approachable and accessible and something that they can do more or less passively because people don't want to change their habits. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. You're spot on. Scott, what I want to do next before we tee off with the idea graveyard is just as you look beyond the first mile, and I know right now you're laser focused on getting to that first mile, launching the product. I know you spent a lot of time tinkering about the future of carbon zero. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that you're able to share or feel comfortable sharing, what are some product features, ideas in the pipeline for Carbon Zero that you wish you could fast forward to, right? If you're already like at that point, but I know you got to you know, take it step by step. But what are, what are some of these things that you're able to tease to our listeners who hopefully many of them will become customers of Carbon Zero at some point? Okay. So this was going to sound a little crazy and I'd love your thoughts on it. We, we have not talked about this so, you know, whatever your raw reaction is, please let me know. It's a pyramid scheme for your carbon footprint. And by that, what I mean is if we take 1% of your transaction volume and put that towards purchasing carbon offsets on your behalf, I think what would be really fun is, and I'll rewind and say, the, the reason we landed on a pyramid scheme or not landed on, but we're tossing the idea around is because... Anytime you're talking about climate, there's kind of an inherent community aspect to it. How do you, you know, build in community and foster community and, you know, kind of mutual accountability and, and foster that dialogue and, you know, help people feel engaged and connected to each other and to the planet. And I think there's a really fun idea we've had, which is say, instead of taking uh, that full 1% and putting that towards carbon offsets, instead, let's take like 97 percent of that one percent 97 basis points is called in finance and put that towards carbon offsets and then reserve three basis points for each person so that they can send that to their friends so for every transaction they'd make you can nominate three people who will get each one percent of your carbon offsets on their behalf and you know if you refer someone to carbon zero and they sign up with your referral code by default you would be receiving one of their kind of slots for the carbon credits. But then like every time you open the app, it's social. It's like almost like Venmo, where every time I open the Venmo app, my home screen shows me, you know, here's all my friends making different transactions to each other. And, you know, here's all the emojis they're leaving. But instead it would be, you know, Peter offset 250 pounds of carbon and 2.5 pounds for you. Or, you know, Corey offset 800 pounds of carbon and eight pounds for you. And just by inviting more people to the app or having my friends, you know, nominate me to be the recipient of their kind of 
three slots for sharing their carbon in footprint or carbon offsets rather, then you can actually yourself offset a small chunk of your climate impact just by inviting people and being friendly with people and participating. So that's kind of a, an interesting one that it's, and I say it's a pyramid scheme, but it's for good. Like there's no losers here. It's just a fun way to kind of engage with each other. And, you know, you're still getting the vast majority of the carbon offsets for yourself. And you're also just this getting is, some of your friends and giving some to your friends. And it's, you know, it's all kind of interconnected. This is so interesting. If you look at kind of the most successful MLM companies, and I, I won't speak on on the ethics of them, but just mechanically, Beauty Counter, Herbalife, et cetera, et cetera. I'll talk about Beauty Counter because I have some friends and family that work there and they seem to be fairly reputable. There is something about A, being able to kind of share in the success of the people that you've brought on board and then B, have that be broadcasted widely. Like, you know, I, I one of my family members was super early to Beauty Counter and she shows me like the organizational map and it's kind of epic. Like she wanted to show me because she's proud of where she stands kind of on this pyramid, you know? Mm -hmm. And in this mm -hmm. case, of course, you know, all these people become, I don't know what their terminology is, but effectively like beauticians, like helping people find new skincare products, blah, blah, blah. But here, not only is there no downside, but man, there's just a lot of fun and this kind of like virality baked in to this idea, man, this, this will be a, a killer deployment of that model. I think it'd be super fun. Like there's a lot of talk in fintech right now about multiplayer fintech. And again, like I think Venmo is kind of the, the quintessential multiplayer fintech company that I can think of or use on a re regular basis. But yeah, to your point, like this is, you know, this has its roots in MLMs. And like a few years ago, I worked at Keller Williams on the tech side, which is, you know, the largest residential real estate brokerage in the world with like 180,000 agents. And they use a very similar model. It's you know, you have what's called a downline and for every agent you recruit, you get some small fraction of their earnings. And for every agent they recruit, they get a small fraction of theirs. And then you get a small fraction of theirs as well, because they're like your grand recruit or something. And introducing that kind of community and downline aspect to Carbon Zero is like, on the one hand, a completely ridiculous idea. On the other hand, I kind of think it's whimsical and fun because there's no real downside to it. It's all, you know, carbon offsets that are going towards the planet anyway. It's not like you're doing it at someone else's expense. There's nothing coercive about it. And that's kind of, I think, the where the distaste for a lot of MLMs come in. But here it's it's just kind of all upside and whimsy. I love it. Scott, at the end of every interview, I explored this notion of the idea graveyard with our guest. And this could be anything. This could be any category. It could be in climate. It could be gaming, whatever you want. My question is, what is one idea that you'd love to work on if you had the time to do so, but instead is just rotting away in your idea graveyard? All right. So the one that I'm most passionate about, I don't know how to describe it. I haven't thought about this in a while. So basically <laughs> it's a app designed to help people's stated motivations align with their actual actions. So, I think everybody alive today says, I want to do X and, you know, I have some goal for a year from now, five years from now that would, you know, in theory, take daily work to achieve. But very few of us actually nail every single one of those goals that we have, right? Like I want to learn Spanish, but I'm not 
practicing Duolingo, it actually just sent me a notification earlier today, kind of passive aggressively telling me it's going to stop sending me notifications. So like, and this happens for everyone. Like, I, I don't know a single person that doesn't have some goal that they've stated to themselves and out loud, but then just like doesn't actually do the work to chase that goal. And I think there's a really interesting idea to build effectively an app where you would state your goal, build a community of, you know, your friends, five or six friends, whatever it ends up being, or it could be, you know, randomly assigned to you. And you would basically pay in a stake where every day that you put in the work towards your goal, if it's, you know, I want, I want to you know, get in shape, I want to, you know, it could even be something like, I just want to read books. And it has to be a positive goal. It can't be something, what would I say, subtractive, right? It can't be, I want to quit smoking, not because it's not a positive goal, but because it's really hard to prove that you didn't do something over the course of a day, whereas it's much easier to prove that you did do a thing, right? Like I can take pictures of me reading or practicing coding or a video of me practicing coding or a picture of me at the gym. I can't take a picture of me and say, I didn't smoke today um, or I didn't drink today. So it has to be, you know, additive goals, I guess is probably a better term for it. And then every day that you do the thing, you're, you know, you're, are not paying your stake in. Every day that you don't do the thing, you pay your stake in. And then you're eligible then to receive the payout from your pool if you did the thing that you said you were going to do that day. Your friends voted on it and said, yep, this looks like he actually did the thing that he was going to do this day. And then if your friends themselves didn't do their thing, or if they voted or if they submitted proof that they did their thing, and then like a majority of the friend group says like, no, that's not legit. Like, that doesn't count, then they end up paying that $5 stake or whatever it ends up being. And then that's split up amongst all the people who actually did the thing they were supposed to do. So at the end of the day, if everybody's done the thing they're supposed to do, nobody gets paid anything and nobody pays any money into the pool, but everyone did the thing they were supposed to do. So it's a net positive. On the other side, if you didn't do the thing that you're gonna do, you're penalized for you know having not done it and you pay money into the group. And if you pay money to the group and then other people did the thing that they said they were going to do, they get paid for keeping you accountable. So it's kind of a incentive alignment mechanism for that leverages like social dynamics and both the carrot and the stick, the, the, you know, the promise of reward, the fear of having to lose money. And I think I that's a really this. goofy idea, but it's, inc- it's just very complex and kind of, it's, I think it'd be fairly easy to build, but hard to market and explain, but Scott. that's in the idea graveyard. <laughs> We should take this snippet. You should email it to James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. And that's how you solve your marketing and distribution. I mean, right? He just hit, what, a million subs on his email list. He's got, like, one of the best-selling books over the last few years. Peter, if you have the intro, (laughs) make it happen, man. Make it happen. Scott, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call-to-actions, hiring needs, Anything that you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. No, I appreciate that. Uh, So first things first, please go visit carbonzero.cc. That's our website and sign up for the wait list if what we've talked about is of interest to you. Like it would mean the world to me and the team. Secondly, we're definitely looking to connect. Like if you are interested in working in climate or on Carbon Zero, we're a small team now, but we'll be growing over the course of the next year. Um, more than happy to make connections early and opportunistically because we never know kind of what our needs will be as we continue to grow. And that's pretty much it. But yeah, please go sign up for the website, share Carbon Zero with your friends and family, because for us, it really comes down to showing that this is something that people are excited and as, as motivated about as we are. And that helps us in you know every conversation that we have. Scott, you're the man. Thank you for educating me, sharing your time. 
And honestly, dude, congrats on all your early success. I am so pumped for this to be introduced to the world. So y'all, carbonzero.cc, Scott, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Peter. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.